Hi, my name is Rhett Barden, and I'm the lead pastor of One Life Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. At One Life Church, we exist to help you know God, find freedom, discover your purpose, and make a difference. For more information on how you can be a part, please visit us online at olc.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning again, everyone. Are you guys having fun today? Let me try that again. Are you guys having fun today? <laughs> Man, it is so good to have you here today. Hey, if you're just joining us again, some of you are just walking in. I just want to reintroduce myself. My name is Rhett. I have the honor of being the lead pastor here at One Life Church. I'm very excited about today's message, but before we jump into the message, I want to do what I do every week, and that is I want to welcome our online church podcast family who are joining us. Come on, One Life Church. Put your hands together. For those who are joining us online this morning, throw your hands together. Let them know you love them. <laughs> Hey, I just want to take a moment and talk to the podcast family and tell you how much we love you, man. We miss you. We cannot wait to see you soon. And uh, our arms are wide open for you in a very safe, social distance type of way. But we love you and we cannot wait to see you real soon. All right, you guys. Hey, today's an exciting day. I kind of already gave away a little bit of what we're celebrating today. But before I talk about what we're celebrating, I just want to remind you, uh, everybody say small groups. Small groups, right? What are small groups? They're groups that are small uh, to actually encourage an opportunity for you to connect to life-changing and life-giving relationships. Why? Because as this nice screen full of donuts say, says, do not do life alone. Why? Because life change happens in relationships. If you want to know how to get connected here to One Life Church and relationship, go to olc.church forward slash groups or go to olc.church, hit the button that looks like that and it says small groups and it will take you to a link that has all our online directory. We launched our fall small group semester. It's like a 12-week semester. Started this week. It is not too late for you to join a small group. It is not too late, I'm going to say it again, for you to join a small group. If you come to our church and you're like, I just don't feel connected to this church, can I ask you, can I tell you the first question that I'm going to ask you? I'm going to say, what small group are you in, man? Like, who are you doing life with? Because this is who we are, not what we do. This is who we are. It's not what we do. A lot of people just add small groups. Oh, that sounds fun. Let's just do that and make people do something else. No, no, no. That's not what we do here. We believe in this wholeheartedly. If it was the single only thing we did, guess what we would do? We would love God. We would love people through small groups. And guess what? That's what we did when COVID hit back in March, everybody. Right? We're here today because of the health of our small groups. And I just want to tell you, man, I do, do not do life alone. If you missed last week's message, that's what it was all about. Uh, we served donuts last week. We're not doing that again today, okay? Uh, but we like food, and you'll see this here. Go to the next slide, because today we are celebrating our second birthday. So taco about two, everybody. Taco about two. And I know what you're thinking. I didn't think about this until this morning. I was like, if you're a guest today, you're like, well, they like donuts and tacos. This is, I hope you love that. If you don't, if you're looking for like green eggs and ham and, and broccoli sprouts and all that, you found the wrong church, okay? There's probably a small group for that, but I ain't coming, you know? Uh, I, need, <laughs> I need carbs, I need donuts. And today, you guys, following this service in celebration of our two-year birthday, we're giving away two tacos to every family on your way out. We got a taco truck, everybody, in the parking lot on your way out. And you're like, oh man, I didn't bring my wallet for that. Guess what? They're paid for, they're free, they're on us, man. Like that's the way we roll here because you already paid for, I mean like we bought these tacos with the money you gave in the offering, okay? They're your tacos. Just don't take the truck. We don't own the truck, okay? 
Uh, but the tacos are ours, and that's going to happen immediately following the service, as well as an opportunity. You'll hear a lot about this today, a water baptism. Everybody say water baptism. Water baptism is an opportunity for people to go public with their faith in Jesus Christ. And we're going to be celebrating tacos and water baptism immediately following the service in the garden. That's, not a, that's an old school hymn for some of y'all who grew up in the church, right? I come to the garden alone. Come on, I know what that's all about, right? Some of you, all, some of you a little bit more seasoned people are like, oh, I love that song. When can we sing that in worship, right? Uh, just maybe one day. Okay, anyway, I digress. There is actually a garden attached to this civic center. If you exit out these doors right behind you, if you're sitting here and you hang my left, right, that direction behind this wall, you'll see the taco truck. And then there's a huge garden. It's really beautiful. And we're going to hang out there. There's going to be like picnic blankets on the ground, right? And there's going to be music playing. I, I think we got cornhole in the house. Come on, if you want to hang out and play some cornhole. Cornhole in Jesus, everybody. This is what we do. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so it's good times. All right. Well, before we jump in the message, I want to remind you, we are a message note taking church. Uh, go to olc.church on your smartphone. Everybody play along with me. Act like, if you don't even have a phone, play with me. Like pull out your imaginary phone, type in olc.church, uh, kind of slide down one little swipe. You'll see a button that says online message notes. Why do we do this? It's because we love you. We want to help you. Uh, it's one thing to come and to be inspired and have a lot of fun on Sunday, but it's a whole other thing when life hits you in the face come Monday at work. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? And you need something to help you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and repeat the process over again. This is when you can turn to your notes because you can actually fill in the blank as we go along and you can email them to yourself. You can uh, download a PDF version for yourself. You can share it with your family and friends. There you have it, olc.church message notes. So today I've entitled today's message, Our Hope for you. And uh, as I was thinking, really, today we're celebrating two years. And as I just begin to think of the One Life uh, story, um, for those who don't know, I'm going to share a little bit of that on the front end of today's message. It's a miracle. It's an absolute miracle. Uh, I was born and raised in Birmingham, Alabama. Long story short, been married for 14 years to the most beautiful woman on the planet who kind of helps us oversee and, and do things in our kids' life team. And so she's in there serving today, I believe. I don't see her on the front row. Um, but in 2015, I was sitting in a conference in Jacksonville, Florida. Come on, man, Florida. Hey, man, Jesus, the ocean, the breeze. Like, it's amazing. And I'm sitting in this conference and I'm, I'm listening to these the world-renowned speakers and people who are making a difference all around the world. And, and I'm watching them and I'm thinking, man, all these people are like in their 20s, 25, early 30s, and here I am, you know, pushing 40. And I'm like, whoa, Jesus. Like, I'm thinking about like what's next in my life. I'm a worship pastor. I'm thinking about what's next. And then I begin to think in my mind, I literally have this conversation. I am not making this up. I have this conversation with God. I was like, God, you, you surely would never call me to plant a church because I am too old. For those who have lived past 40, you know, I'm just, I, I ain't over the hill. I'm just approaching the hill, you know? And so here I am having this conversation and there's a little pamphlet that they hand you at the conference and some stuff's happening and I'm reading it. And I literally, after I have that thought, I read an article from Ross Parsley who planted a church called One Chapel in Austin, Texas, a friend of ours in ministry. And he literally said in his article, if you're thinking you are too old to plant a church, I'm not making this up. A tear began to roll down my eye. A tear began to roll down my eye. 
And God began to download into me what his next words were. He said, if you're too old, or if you think you're too old to plant a church, he said, maybe, just maybe, God is calling you to raise up the next generation of leaders and church planners. And not that I feel like I'm that person to do that, but what I am telling you, though, is that's what God used to deposit a seed in me in 2015 to where we are today. I shared that story with my wife. I said, babe, I can't make sense of this. Um, I don't know if it was the pizza I ate in Jacksonville, Florida, or the salt water, but I feel like God's calling us to plant a church. And her reaction was, once she fell on the floor, I had to pick her right back up off the floor, you know, re, you know bring her back to life. Uh, she was like, well, God hadn't spoke that to me. And I was like, okay, well, if, if we're supposed to do this, I know God will make it clear to her. A year goes by, same conference, different city. After the conference, she comes up to me in tears and she says, we're supposed to do it. I went, do what? This is a year ago. You know, a year had gone by. And she said, we're supposed to plant a church. And I was like... Dear Jesus, what'd you do with my wife? You know what I mean? Like, what is happening right now? Um, God spoke to her, made it very clear, shared it with leaders. Fast forward, we moved our family here in January of 2018, uh, almost three years coming up this January. We had $6,000, everybody, <laughs> in the church account. And we had our savings. We lived off, lived off our savings, did everything we could. And by the grace of the Lord, we, we met about 55 people who connected with us and said, hey, I want to be a part of this vision, which is the vision I'm going to share with you today. I want to be a part of this vision. I want to connect with it. And we want to make a difference with our life. And so on September the 16th of 2018, we planted One Life Church. Uh, we had 265 people in attendance. Seven people made decisions for Jesus. And here we are today, everybody. Come on, to God be the glory. <laughs> to God be the glory. I share only that with you to know that what is happening today, the fact that you're in these seats today is simply a miracle from God. We are a debt-free church and we've seen 200, you ready for this? This is where you really need to get excited because this is really what it's all about. We've seen 212 people make decisions for Jesus Christ in the two years. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. Come on. God, we love you. We give you praise for that. You're so awesome, Lord. Oh, you're so good to us. Amen. You can be seated. Hey, man, again, I just, I share all that to say, man, you're looking at a miracle. I'm not that smart. I'm not that cool, okay? I promise. And don't let the jacket fool you, all right? Uh, I'm trying to cover up a little uh, quarantine 15 right now. It's not working out too well at the moment. Um, anyhow, anyhow. So my prayer for you, if I had one opportunity to bring you one message, it would be the message that I'm sharing with you today. If I had one opportunity to share with you one-on-one, -on -one, my prayer for you, your family, in your life, it would be the prayer and the hope that I'm going to share with you today. Again, this is the reason why we're here, is what I'm about to share with you today. This is our hope for you. Now, when it comes to prayer, when it comes to hope, there, the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. In fact, one of my most favorite verses on prayer comes from this verse right here, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 through 18. It's the prayer of Paul. Now, there's a lot of talk about prayer in the Bible, but there aren't too many examples. But in this example, I think it's one of the greatest examples of the spiritual journey or the vision that God has for your life, for my life, and for all of us. And that is, here's my prayer, just like Paul, for you. My hope is that I'm going to keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, I'm praying that he may give you the spirit of wisdom in Revelation. Now time out for a second. Paul, what are you saying here? Paul's saying, hey, I just want you to be able to see some things clearly. See what, Paul? I want you to see the spiritual journey that God has for your life. I'm going to show you four things out of this verse that, that God wants 
for your life. And it starts with this last line right here. So that you may, here's the first step in all of it, is so that you may know him. In other words, it's so that you may come into a relationship with God. Some of you don't have a relationship with God today. And my hope and my prayer is today you won't leave this service without taking that step. Some of you today are in this service today. You have a relationship with God. And if that is you, hey, way to go. But I want you to walk away knowing him better. Because listen, everything starts with a relationship with God. In fact, I'll say it this way. All, like everything in life is all about you finding this first step right here in your spiritual. It's all about coming into a relationship with God. And so this is my hope for you is that you know him. Why? So that you can experience the rest of this verse. Check this out. So that I pray that next that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. To which if you're like me, you're probably thinking, hey, Paul, this whole anatomy thing, like you failed anatomy class because your, <laughs> your eyes are not on your heart, brother. Your eyes are on your head. Think about this for a second. Oh, Paul's actually getting it right. He did not make a mistake. Did you know that your heart filters how you see the world? Your heart is what holds stuff. It holds the junk of life. It holds your past. It holds your pain. It holds your bitterness. It holds your angry, you know, your anger. It holds the wounds and the scars of the past. It holds stuff. And Paul's saying, hey, I want you to come into a relationship with God first. And I want you to know him better. But now, my friends, it's time to go to the next step of the journey. And it is time to rid your heart of the pollution of the past. It's time to find some freedom. It's time to settle your yesterday so you can see the future that God has called you and I to. It's part of the journey. How many of you guys are, have really been enjoying the wildfire smoke? Come on, let me see it. You've loved it. It's like, oh my God, I cannot wait for this time every single year. This is absolutely amazing, right? Anybody in this room? Okay, I didn't think I would get an amen or a hand raise on that. Why don't you enjoy it? It's because it's pollution to our lungs. It's unhealthy. This wildfire smoke, not only is it unhealthy, it's just absolutely nasty and just ugly to look at. Not only is it ugly to look at, what's amazing to me is when I watch the forecast, the meteorologists lie. Oh, today is a clear sky, totally sunny, not a cloud in the sky. I'm like, brother, have you walked outside? Because I can't see the beautiful blue sky of Idaho because of all this smoke, right? And thank God, I think the smoke moved out yesterday and I think it's clear today. I haven't been outside this morning. But here's what I'm trying to say. The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. A lot of us have the smoke of the past in our hearts and it's polluting us to where we can't see the beauty of life. We can't see the blue sky that God's called every single one of us to, which is this fulfilled life. We can't see it. Why? Because we're struggling with the wildfire smoke in our hearts. We need the smoke to clear. And that's my prayer is that the smoke would begin to clear from the pain of your past. You need to find freedom is what we call it. And what do you need to see? You need to see the next part of the verse. The reason I need your heart to become clear is so in order that you may know the hope. Everybody say hope. hope. It's in order to know the hope to which he's called you. I think it's really interesting that your hope and calling are connected. You're not going to have hope until you discover your calling, but you won't discover your calling until you experience the hope, but you'll never experience the hope unless you begin to see clearly. You won't begin to see clearly until you come into a relationship with God. So you need to know God. You need to find freedom. You need to come to a place where you're being able to see the hope to which he's called you. There's two great days in your life, everybody. The day that you were born, aren't you thankful for the day God gave you breath? I am. The second greatest day, my friends, is the day you discover why you were born. 
When you discover why, my friends, it changes everything. And it's unfortunate that, man, too many people, we can't even see our design because we can't see the hope that God has for us. Again, because the smoke of the past is so prevalent in our life, our hearts, our hearts are polluted. Again, this is why we exist as a church. We want to help you come into a relationship with God. We want to help you get to the place where you're settling your yesterday so you can see your future and getting you to a place where you're seeing clearly to see the hope to which he's called you, but to ultimately lead you to the last part of the verse, last part of the prayer. And that is the riches of his glorious inheritance. Listen, my friends, everything that God has for you is glorious. It's glorious. But notice this. It doesn't come or you don't experience it isolated. Look at the rest of this verse. The riches of his inglorious inheritance comes in his what? His holy people. You will never experience God's best apart from people. You just won't. You can try all day long and you're going to struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle as long as you're trying to do it alone. But when you come to realize that God has a plan and that plan, a part of that plan is people, then things begin to change. And so as a pastor, I feel like I'm kind of like a tour guide at Disney World, right? It's like, hey, come over here to Tomorrowland. This is awesome. And come over here to this part of it, right? Like I'm a tour guide. And my job is to take you on a journey. And every single one of us have a spiritual journey. Well, Pastor Red, I'm not buying that whole spiritual journey thing. Well, guess what? It doesn't change the fact that, my friend, you and I are on a spiritual journey. The truth is we are on a spiritual journey. And I want you to experience all that God has for you. God has a lot for you. Well, what does he want you to experience? He wants you to experience four things. He wants you to come to a place where you experience four things. So the question is, well, what are those four things? Well, this is our hope for you. Number one, if you're taking notes, please write this down. That is, our hope is that you come to know God. This is why we exist as a church, is that our hope is that you come to know God because of this prayer, that you may know him personally. And let me just time out for a second. This word know here isn't like a uh, intellectual no. Isn't like this mindset of, oh yes, I, I know of God and the God of the Bible. It's not like this no, like you know the president of the United States. Like we all like know him, but we don't know him. We know of him, but we ain't doing life with him. And he, he ain't up in our, in our business, in our personal lives, right? We don't know him. The Greek word here, the Greek, by the way, just a little Bible, you know, theology here. The New Testament was written in Greek, right? That was the language of the day. So they wrote it in Greek. And so the Greek word for this word no comes from the word gnosko. Gnosko. You know what the word actually means? It means to have an intimate, personal relationship. It actually uses the same word for like, as Adam and Eve knew each other and had a baby. God, the Bible is trying to really be discreet here with this word. I'm just going to use no, right? Okay. But he's trying to say, hey, listen, God wants to know you personally. He wants to know you personally. And I didn't get this growing up. I mentioned it earlier. I grew up in the South, uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And uh, everybody in the South is a Christian, everyone. They just are. I was a Christian, but I wasn't a Christian. Here's why. Because I, the only way to shut Christians up was just to tell them you were a Christian. <laughs> in fact, I looked at Christianity as kind of like a, you know, a fire insurance plan, like in case of emergencies only, right? 
If my fire insurance card was that I just had to believe in a guy named Jesus, that I didn't have to go to hell and burn fire and damnation for forever, and I get to spend eternity in a cloud, and have that, I mean, that sounds pretty good to me. I'll, I'll take that one, right? And see, I grew up in, in a very broken home. My parents got a divorce when I was three. Um, at seven years old, my mom shot and killed herself, committed suicide, um, dealt with a lot of pain, a lot of rejection, a lot of hurt. In fact, I honestly thought growing up that maybe, just maybe, mom, like the, my mom's death was because I wasn't good enough. You know, that she, she didn't think that it was worth being around. These are honest to God truths that I had to deal with. So from seven to 16, I'm looking for love in all the wrong places, all the wrong places. It wasn't until my best friend invited me into a life-giving church, much like One Life Church, that my life began to turn around. I came to the place where I recognized that God wasn't mad at me. Have you ever thought God was mad at you? Like, am I the only one in this room? I honestly thought God was sitting like those pamphlets that you get going to like the Indian Village Creek, the Village Creek. You know, I don't know if you've been over there on a Tuesday night, but they've got guys handing out pamphlets. And in the pamphlet, it's got God on a white throne at the end, like with a lightning bolt coming down from heaven and said, you better turn and you better burn. You better get your right act together. Like that is what, that was my mental picture of God. It was like, God was mad at me, like Thor from the Avengers, ready to strike me down for every bad thing that I ever have done. And I cannot tell you that is the furthest thing from the truth. God is not mad at you. God loves you so much. And he wants to have a relationship with you. But I didn't understand that until my best friend invited me to a church like this. So why am I telling you this story? It was because as I began to have a relationship with God, I began to read the word and I actually enjoyed it. It wasn't like a, a, a duty. Like it was amazing. And as I began to read God's word, it was where I began to discover that I just can't call myself a Christian and like go to heaven. Like there's more to it than that. And so there's a lot of people in this room, in our valley and across the nation who call themselves Christians. But the reality is, the truth is, there's not heaven on the other side of that declaration. And let me show you a verse that just radically changed my process in my thinking when it came to this. And this is Jesus's words. He addresses this in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. He says, hey guys, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know about you, but that was a problem for me because that was my plan. <laughs> and so many of you in this room, you're thinking, well, man, that's a problem because that was my plan. I, see, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. Look at this. He said, not everyone who claims to be a Christian is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the only one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He goes on to say, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? In other words, didn't we do all these Christian things like we did things for you? Look at this. This is huge. Don't miss this. Here's the last part of the verse. Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. I never knew you. Guess what word Jesus uses right here? It's gnosko. He said, I never had a personal, intimate relationship with you. You call me Lord. You did a lot of things for me, but you didn't do anything with me. I didn't know you. I didn't have a relationship. The only thing, if there's only one thing you get out of today's message, the only thing that God wants with you is a relationship. He wants a relationship. God is not interested in what you can do for him. Listen, there is not enough good in this world that you could do to earn a relationship with God and to earn heaven. It's already been done. His name is Jesus and it's a free gift that you simply receive. It's free. You can't earn it, my friend. I know, I've tried. It doesn't work that way. God is not interested in what you do for him. He is interested in what you do with him. And there is a huge difference. 
And as a pastor, I want you to know that I thank God for our dream team. I thank God for what they get accomplished to create opportunity for this. But you know, the value that they bring isn't in what they do. The value that they bring is their love relationship with God. My joy as a pastor is when people are falling in love with Jesus Christ. And they're not only just falling in love with him, they're inviting him into every aspect and fiber of their lives. In their marriages. My joy is when, as a husband and wife, you guys are communicating and falling in love with Jesus together. And that there's peace and harmony in the home. My, my joy is when you're inviting God and his presence and his love into your kids and your relationship with your kids. The relationships. My joy is when you begin to take your love relationship and invite God into your life at work or into your life after work and the things that you do. This is what Christianity is all about. This, my friends, is what a relationship with God looks like. So here's a question that I asked when I read this, and maybe you're asking this too. Well, how can I know that I know God? Like if it's this important to have a relationship with God, then, then how do I know that I know God? And I want to answer that with you. And I'm going to give you several scriptures here. I think it's important that we settle this. First John chapter two, verse three. This is how we know. Look at this. We know that we've come to know God intimately, personally, if we keep his commands, which then makes me ask the question, well, what are, what are his commands? Look at Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In other words, invite him into every area of your life. This, Jesus said, is the first and greatest commandment. And then he said, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, the entire Bible is summed up into two statements. Love God, love people. This is how you know that you know God. Let's give me a couple other verses. John 13, 34 through 35. It says, love one another. And then he clarifies love. Thank God for this. Okay, I got this whole love thing. All right, but I need you to love others as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Okay, now things begin to change a little bit. How did Jesus love us? He humbled himself. Then he became a servant. Jesus didn't come to be served. Jesus came to serve. How did he love us? He honored us. He had value to us. He gave his best for us. By this kind of love, look at this, Jesus says, everyone will know that you're my family, that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Two more verses, 1 John 3, 18 through 19. So dear children, One Life Church, because I know what you're thinking, let us not love with just words or speech. Talk is cheap, everybody. Don't love with just your speech. No, but with action and in truth. So the way you treat your husband, the way you treat your wife. You know, 1 Corinthians, is a, I think, I believe it's chapter 12. It's the love chapter. It's not on your notes, but it's like it defines love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not, is not jealous. Love does not boast. Love does not keep record of wrongs. We'll let that one settle for a minute. <laughs> so many things about love. And so here, I, here I'm asking, still children, one life. Don't love with words. Love with actions and in truth. Love, the way, love your husbands this way. Love your wives this way. Live a generous life. Live this way with your friends. Live this way with your coworkers. Live this way with your boss. Why? Because this is how we know. This is how we know. Know what? That we belong to the truth. And how we set our hearts at rest 
in his presence. In other words, this is how we have peace in knowing that we have a relationship with God is that our life is reflecting his love in and through everything that we do. This is how we know. And to cap it off, one more verse, 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Everyone who loves has been born of God and intimately walks with him in a personal relationship. Gnosko knows him. This is how we know. But the downside to that is whoever does not love their husband, their wife, their friends, their coworkers, their kids, their family, their boss, their neighbor, well, they don't have a personal intimate relationship with Jesus. Why? Because God is love. You cannot give what you have not received. That is why it is so important for you to experience God's love. You need to experience God's love, true love, because you cannot love somebody the way that God wants you to love them unless you're being loved by God that way. And the only way that you're being loved by God that way, here's your step if you're in this room today, is to surrender your life to Jesus. You wanna write that one down. You wanna surrender your life to Jesus because there's no greater love than that of Jesus Christ who laid down his life for you. So how do we do it? Two verses, real easy, Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, my friends, you will be saved. Saved from what? Death and hell. You'll be saved. You don't hear the word hell a lot in church anymore, do you? It's a reality. It's a real place, everybody. God doesn't want you to go there. What is hell? It's eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation from God. It's a place that you do not want to go, my friends. And so how do we avoid this? We confess with our mouth, Jesus, the Lord God, I believe you took my sin upon you to pay this price so I don't have to do this. Look at Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin, living your life apart from God on your own. You can do it if you want to, my friends, but the result is death. But the free gift of God, here's the good news. The gift of God is a free gift and it's eternal life and it comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of you are here today and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. Some of you are here today and you've surrendered your life to Jesus and you're in this relationship with God, but you simply need to know him better. And I'm gonna give you that opportunity at the end of this service. So the first step, for, and, and, and this is where I wanna to go to, that is your first step, is coming into a relationship with God. But there's a second step, it's kind of a sub-step to this relationship with God. And it is the first step that every believer, after they make a decision for Jesus Christ, after they come into a relationship with God, they are water baptized. Water baptized. And if that's you today, I wanna to encourage you to take this step. And so you think, well, Pastor Ed, I was dedicated as a child. I was christened. I was baptized as a child. I mean, if I get baptized again, won't that kind of disrespect what my family did for me back then? No, 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 not at all. Listen, if you were baptized as a child, if you were dedicated as a child, if you were christened as a child, man, that's awesome. What your family was saying when they did that was, that, hey, one day we hope that you will make the decision on your own to follow Jesus Christ. That's what it's saying. And out of the 27 examples that are in the New Testament of baptism, did you know that all 27 water baptism experiences are post-decision? In other words, they were after somebody made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, nobody got baptized before, it was always after the decision. 
Let me show you Acts 2, 41. It says, those who accepted his message, referring to Peter who was preaching on the day of Pentecost or the day the Holy Spirit came. So Peter's message, this good news of Jesus, those who gave their heart to Christ and accepted his message were baptized. Everybody say baptized. baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Some of you who are in this room today, you've never been water baptized. And I want to encourage you to take that step. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end of this service today as we close out today. So once you come to know God, here's the second thing that you need to experience as part of your spiritual journey. And that is you need to find freedom. Find freedom. And we get this because of the prayer that Paul prayed, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Here's the truth. My friends, you can know God and still have some issues. You know why? Because you're a spirit being. You're a triune being. What does that mean? You have a spirit. That's the part that gets saved when you give your heart to Jesus. Your spirit has a soul. That's your mind. That's your will. That's your emotions. And your spirit lives in a body. Your spirit, your mind, your will, and emotions in the body, they're saved, but they, it's going to take them a while to get lined up to the truth of God's word because you've been living a certain way for so long. You see what I'm saying? It just doesn't miraculously happen overnight. So there's things in your life, addictions, unforgiveness, bitterness, hurts, anxieties, worry, dealing with, with hidden sins and secret sins that nobody else knows about. And I just want to make this statement, my friends, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. God loves you where you are, yes, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He has better and greater things ahead for you. He wants you to experience freedom. So how do we experience freedom? Here's the solution. Most people don't like this. In fact, I preached the whole message last week. If you missed it, I'm telling you, you might not want to go back and listen to it because I kind of, kind of meddle a little bit about all the excuses we throw out about this process of finding freedom that many of us don't want to deal with because God's solution isn't just to go to God and you and him work it out. That's not God's solution. That's not God's process. That's not God's design. God's solution for you to work out the issues in your marriage, the issue in your home, the issue that you're dealing with in your own personal life, God's solution is people. You're like, really, Rhett? That's just your opinion. No, let me show you God's word. Just in case you missed last week. James 5, 16. Therefore, my friends, confess your sins. Confess your issues. Notice this, not to God, but to each other. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. You go to God for forgiveness of sins. He's the only one who can forgive your sins. But we go to people after that to resolve the issues of life. We go to God's people to resolve them. Why? Look at this. Confess your sins to each other, not just anybody, but somebody that, ha that has your back. And pray for them. Because if you do, what will happen? What's that last word highlighted right there? So that you may be healed, that you may find freedom from the issues of life. And I say this every Sunday almost. I got issues. I got things I'm dealing with. Guess what? You got issues. You got things you're dealing with. And if you're in this room and you think you're Mr. and Miss Perfect, guess what? That is your issue. Look in the mirror, my friend. It ain't everybody else. It's you. I don't know why y'all keep coming back to this church, but I'm glad you do. I love you. I have to preach God's truth to you, and I hope you hear my heart behind it. God's system for resolving issues is people. It isn't just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. I just need me and Jesus. I don't need anybody else. No, it's you. It's Jesus, and it's life-giving relationships. It's people who can come into your life, and man, I got your back. I'm dealing with the same thing. I've been through it. I know it's tough, but God can see you through it, and here's how. So what's your step? If you're doing life alone, join a small group. <laughs> this is who we are. It's not what we do. 
You're never going to get away from these four things that we do. Every Sunday, you're going to hear them. You're going to join a small group. Why? Because life change happens in relationships. Go to olc.church. Hit the groups button. I need a group. You need a group. We all need a group. Here's the third thing. Our hope for you is not only that you know God, find freedom, write this down, is that you discover purpose. Is that you can come to know the hope to which he's called you. Here is a very disturbing fact for me as a pastor. Is that 87% of American Christians don't know why they're on the planet. This is a Barna study. Did you know, my friend, I'm telling you today, that you are created on purpose for a purpose. Your life is not an accident. I don't care what your mama or your daddy told you. You are not an accident. You are a masterpiece created in the likeness of God. You were created on purpose for a purpose. And it's our job as a church to help you discover that purpose. Why? Because your design reveals your destiny. There's fulfillment. There's hope. And our hope is you'll take a next step. How do you do that here? You attend the Discover class. You attend the Discover. It's right now it's currently online. We're bringing it back to an in-person class next Sunday. But you can go online, olc.church, Discover. This is how you do that. I'm trying to help you. This is God's plan. This is a spiritual journey. What is Discover? It's a simple process. It's a next step to help you get started in discovering your design. We do a spiritual gifts assessment. We do a personality profile. It's a lot of fun. And you'll discover 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, that God has given you gifts. God's given each and every one of you gifts, my friends, from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Some of you, when you walk into a room, you notice that the chair is not straight. You walk over and you're like, oh, now I can breathe. The chair is straight. Thank you, Lord. That is a gift. It's a gift of service. Some of you see the person sitting alone going, oh, I can't believe they're sitting alone. I'm going to go over here and sit with them. How are you doing, honey? Oh, you're just so sweet. I'm sorry you're sitting by. You want to come sit over here? What is that? That's a gift. It's a gift of mercy. Some of you, when you see the musicians on this, aren't you grateful for our incredible worship team, everybody? Right? Some of you who are sitting in these chairs today have a gift to worship. You're like, man, if I could just only be on that stage and play guitar and sing, man, I love that. Guess what? There's room for you. That's a gift. It's a gift to worship. Some of you have a great gift to deal with kids. You love kids. You need to be around kids. Can I tell you, this is not my grace gift. I love your kids, everybody. Don't get me wrong. Like from a distance. Because <laughs> if I was in that room, I would need duct tape and a chair. Y'all sit down and be quiet. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. Do not send me an email complaining about that. I am totally playing around. We all have different gifts. It's important that you discover the gifts. Why? Look at the rest of the verse. Because you have a responsibility. And you have a responsibility. What is it? To manage them. God has something for you to do. And he wants you to manage the gifts he's given you. Well, God's expectation is that you're using his gifts. Why? So that God's generosity. I love this. We use our gifts so that God's generosity can flow through us. On the other side of your obedience, discovering your purpose is a person who is in need. People need to experience the love of God through you. A body can't be a body without a hand. It can. It can function, but not too well, especially if he loses his other hand. There's a lot of you who are hands in this room. You're disconnected from the body. 
And there is somebody on the other side of your obedience. There is a child who needs to hear that God loves them. But not only that God loves them, he needs to have a woman of God or a man of God speak into the life and say, you, my friend, are going to be a world changer. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Some of these children are going through hell at home. And God is calling some of us to step out who have the gifts with kids and to go, you know what? Let me get down and just tell you, you are special. You're wonderful. You're created in the beauty of God. Daughter, there's always somebody in need on the other side of your obedience. You'll never know the side of heaven, but one day you will when you step out in your purpose. And that leads us to our ultimate hope, which is number four, to make a difference. God's called each and every one of us to make a difference with our life. See, a lot of us are looking for joy, but can I tell you where real joy doesn't come from? Real joy doesn't come from going to McCall, as incredible as it is. Real joy doesn't come from going to Stanley, Idaho and skiing those slopes, as incredible as that probably is. Real joy doesn't come from that pay raise to get you that new car, as much fun as that is for a season. Real joy doesn't come from sleeping in on a Sunday online church family. (laughs) And watching football. As much fun as that is, real joy comes when your life is making a difference in another human being. Actually, non-Christian sociologists call it transcendence. They say the greatest height, the greatest fulfillment is when your life is making a significant difference in the life of another human being. It's proven science, everyone. God's called us to make a difference. Jesus said this in John 15, 8, 11. This, my friends, making a difference is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, that you make a difference with your life, showing yourselves to be on my team, to be part of my family, to be my disciples, my followers. Jesus said, I'm telling you this one life so that your joy of Jesus may be in you and that your joy, what you've been looking for outside of these four walls, your joy will be made complete How's it made complete through Jesus Christ? Obviously, yes, but it's making a difference with your life. It makes a difference for eternity, but it also makes a difference in you. So here's your action step. Join the dream team. What's the dream team? By the way, we don't use the word volunteer here. Volunteer is like a nasty word. It's like almost like a cuss word. I can't even believe I just said it. It's like shame on you, pastor. Don't use that word. Why? Because volunteer means you're signing up to do something I want you to do that you don't want to do. I don't want anybody on our team doing that here at all. My, des- my desire was always to plan a church where God would bring us people who would discover their purpose and actually do what God's gifted them to do, what God's designed them to do, what they enjoy doing and making a difference with that. That's where fulfillment comes. I tell the team all the time, if we didn't have Kids Life team, we wouldn't have a Kids Life service. That's how much I believe about it. Why? Because I'm not going to force somebody to go back there and watch your kids that don't like kids. You know what I'm saying? You don't. I ain't got time for that. I always desired a church, always had a dream and a vision that God would bring people. Our church would look like the people that God brings us. We don't do programs here. We do people. We do small groups. God's given you a design, a desire to do something. We're going to empower you to do it in a small group. We're going to get behind you in that small group and go, hey, man, we're going to root you on. That's what we're going to do. If you come to your pastor and say, hey, pastor, why aren't we doing this? I'm going to go, hey, I don't know. Why aren't we doing this? It sounds like you've got a heart and a desire for it. I want to get behind you and empower you to do it. 
This is God's design, not that the pastor does all the ministry. That's nowhere in scripture. The job of the pastor is to empower the saints for the work of the ministry. And it's to empower you and your God gifts and calling. So you can experience the hope of that calling and you can't experience the hope of your calling until you're starting to find freedom and you can't find freedom until you come to know God. And that's why I couldn't think of a better way to close this service than to give you the opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. And for some of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to be water baptized. Maybe you're making the decision for the first time today, giving your heart to Christ. You ought to take the step of being water baptized. Why? Why do we have to be water baptized? What's the big deal about the water? You ready for this? Because Jesus said so. (laughs) It's good enough for me, man. But if you want to see it, look at this. Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said, therefore, I want you to go one life, church. I want you to make disciples of all nations. Look at this. Baptizing them. This word baptizing comes from the Greek word baptizo, which simply means to submerge in water. And let me tell you, we're not just going to leave you there, okay? We're going to pull you right back up. <laughs> breathe in, you breathe out. <laughs> Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 21. This is what it shows. In baptism, it shows that we've been saved from death and doomed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing that can save you is Jesus. It's not because our bodies are washed clean by the water. There's nothing special about the water. It's Jesus Christ. But because in being baptized, we're basically turning to God and we're asking him to cleanse our hearts, to cleanse our hearts from sin. And I just want to encourage you to take that step. But here's the thing. I know what you're thinking. (laughs) I know you. You're thinking, oh, Rhett, man, I'm all in. Like, this is awesome. But like, I didn't register to be baptized and I didn't really come ready to be baptized. Hey, no worries, my friend. We can take that excuse right off the table because here's why. We have dark shorts, every size, several. We have dark shirts because we're trying to keep this thing holy, y'all. You know what I'm saying? It's all black. We have all the unmentionables that you could possibly imagine, but I can't mention them because they're unmentionables. We got you taken care of, my friend. Well, well, you know, you know, I, I don't know, man. Well, what's going to happen to my stuff, man? I don't want to leave my stuff hanging around because I don't church, trust these church people, you know, and all that. Because I don't know if they're going to walk off with my stuff. Well, we thought about that. So this is what you can do. As you have your stuff with you, we're going to have a person right by the baptism tank. You just hand them your stuff and they're going to stand there. You get baptized and they're going to hand you your stuff right back to you. Well, pastor, I really don't want anybody to touch me because, you know, I'm trying to, trying to keep social distance. Okay, I got one for you. You ready for this? Nowhere in scripture does it say that a pastor has to physically touch you and to baptize you. You can baptize yourself. I'll stand on the side and I'll go now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, I baptize you. And then you can just go back yourself and come right back up. Oh, okay, well, I don't want to get back in the water because that's a lot of nasty in there. Because, you know, like if I'm the last person, the first person, and by the time the last person, that's going to be nasty. I don't want to do that. Well, guess what? With your tithe and offering, we purchased a state-of-the-art COVID-19. It's called, well, let me get this right. What does it say? It is a ozone purification system. It kills bacteria. And it's got a filtration system. And, well, the water might be cold, it's a little cold outside. Guess what? It's got a heater on it. It's like a hot tub, baby. <laughs> it's like a hot tub. Man, you're going to be like, I don't want to get out. This is nice. You know? So it's actually going to be cleaner than the first time you got in it because of how it's designed. We thought of all this. It's important as followers to follow. Followers follow. Jesus set the example. 
And I just want you to follow it. What, what is it? At the end of the day, <laughs> baptism, it's the wedding band of Christianity. Now, this ring, it doesn't make me married or less married. I'm married without it. But when I put it on, what does it do? It, it, it symbolizes, it shows the world. This is brother's taking. As much as you want me, you can't have me. I am given to Linda. You are not thinking that, trust me, I know. <laughs> I'm trying to be funny, but I am trying to tell you the truth, though. It's just a symbol. It's a symbol. Well, maybe, I mean, I've been baptized before. Will that disrespect that? No. If you were baptized before, listen, you want to get baptized again, go for it. It's cool, man. It is a public demonstration of your faith in Jesus Christ. Well, my faith is supposed to be private, Red. It's, the, it's just private. I'm supposed to be private. Well, Jesus has a verse for you. It's called Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 through 33. Jesus himself said, my friends, whoever acknowledges me before others, puts their Christianity on display, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, who won't public acknowledge me, I will disown before my Father in heaven. This is important. This is huge. So what is baptism? Write this down and then we'll close. Water baptism is a public declaration of my faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you need to go public with your faith today. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? Some of you are here today and you don't have a relationship with God and you feel it, you know, there's separation. You got shame, you got guilt, you got pain. It hurts and you're, you don't have any peace. There is no love. You want to love, but you can't because you're not experiencing the love that God has for you through his son, Jesus. And if that's you today, my friend, it would be an honor for me to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way. I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not even going to ask you to stand. But if that's you, you want to make that decision. I would encourage you, if you're be so bold, just to say, hey, pastor, that's me. Just raise your hand. Let me know who I'm talking to. God bless you, sir. That's me. I just want to turn my life to Jesus. Today is the day I'm coming home, man. I'm, I want to experience hope and peace for the starting today. Good job, man. You can put your hands down. You can say a simple prayer like this. Maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't, but you want to say the prayer. This is what you need to say. Just say, Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. I believe you paid for my sin. Forgive me. Change me. Come live inside of me. I declare you as my Lord and Savior. I put my faith and my trust in you today. I give you my life. I give you everything. And I say this, say, Holy Spirit, fill me with your power to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now hang with me just for a second. If you said that prayer today, maybe you raised your hand, maybe you didn't. That's the greatest single decision of your life, man. That is the greatest decision of life. We are so proud of you. I wanna say welcome home. Now, I would love to help you with some next steps. Obviously one of those is gonna be water baptism today, but there are some other steps that you would need to take on your journey. And I'd like to send you an email. The way that I can get that information to you is, if you'll take time to fill out that connection card that was in your worship guide, or if you'll go online to olc.church, fill out the online connection card. There's also a place for prayer requests on the card. We are a praying church. We pray the promise of God, not the problem. And so if you need prayer, that's how we would pray for you as well. And so, hey, One Life Church family, we had some hands go up this morning. Will you throw your hands together and show some love? I don't know how much you love them. Way to go.